before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour episode 103. As always, joined by the three amigos here. We got uh, Keith Dicker, Ice Cap Asset Management, Rich Diaz, Tom Brady, and Macro. What's going on? Keith, you got a dress shirt on today. Yeah, I feel like I'm actually working. <laughs> what does that feel like, Rich? Uh, it feels good. I, it feels good. <laughs> I like working. Oh, it's been an interesting few years. So working <laughs> is definitely good. <laughs> you know, before I, uh, so I, I launched IceCap back in 2010. And for 10 years prior to that, I worked for a very small bank, a small private bank offshore. And then for a number of years before that, I worked for one of the very large Canadian banks, so you, you push them all together, you know, it's it about 17 years of, of banks and suits and ties and everything. So I like to say I got all banked out by that time. So every now and then they all wear a nice shirt. They wear a nice shirt. Oh, hey, by the way, I, I want to, uh, for all of our listeners to uh, know, next or this coming Tuesday, uh, IceCap, I'm offering anyone who wants to hop on to uh, hear a webinar that IceCap will do. So you can hear in more details our investment views on, on the markets, uh, things like that. We did that earlier in the year, and we, we had a lot of people turn up. It was a lot of fun. But if you want to participate, uh, just send me an email directly, and then uh, we'll have you set up. So, so that will be for this uh, coming Tuesday, and I will wear a nice shirt again for that day. How about you, Rich? Okay. You were in a nice slug for ice cap, eh? We'll bill you. <laughs> we'll bill yeah. you. Some sh shameless self-promotion, you know, as, as they say. Rich, how are you promoting yourself these days? How's the love life coming along? Uh, it, it's as good as a German real house prices, um, which is to say not good at all. Um, only you can come up with that, eh? <laughs> um, you wonder why it's, it's... No, it's just, it's been rough goes, actually. I don't know. It's, I don't know, boys. Maybe, I don't know, something wrong. Maybe I'm not using the right... Uh, Looney hour pickup lines. Something Maybe uh, I should wear my my anti uh, central bank digital currency shirt. Maybe that would help. Uh, but no, all is well, man. I've been going to the gym a lot. I found a new personal trainer, which is uh, something uh, I personal trainer. Eh, times must be good. It, times are better. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, macro. I love. It's something I've uh, committed to. Uh, you know, people spend money how on much, all kinds of stupid how stuff. How much? So. How much can you bench press these days? Um, I can do probably. I don't know, like 225 for one, I think is my personal best. So that's pretty, but you know, Keith, you'd know this, you know, in the combine, the NFL combine, they do like the maximum rep of like 225 pounds or whatever. And these guys doing 20, some of them do 30. I can do one. <laughs> yeah. The four, the four plates is a uh, cool, I know Steve is like pumping them out as well these days oh by the yeah. way guys a little a shout out to uh, one, one of my uh good friends dear friends connor damone uh he was just named to the canadian powerlifting team so connor if you're listening wow. today congratulations well done he's let's just say he's doing a lot more than one rep of the 225 <laughs> and uh yeah and i think that's why he has a lot of success rich in in the love world so uh oh, well, if you I'll, if you can increase your reps in, on the 225 i think that's the key i'll be i'll be very proud of myself yeah, i'll yeah. call you i'll call you yeah well steve what's new over in the uh the land of, of love over there kitslano kitslano uh yeah no things are things are good here um yeah, i don't know housing's slowing down actually we're, we're going to uh going to europe next week so we'll be traveling to Italy and to Spain. So the, the Looney Hour will be recorded next week. Well, I guess we'll still be here, but the following week will be recorded in Spain. Uh, so we'll have a new background for everybody. But um, quick little tee up here before we get into the show. Uh, we are planning a Looney Hour live event in Toronto uh, in the GTA for the end of November. So uh, anyone that's local there, if, if you want to help us out, uh, you know, particularly with like sourcing venues and caterers uh that always helps because none of us are really from there and it's always a bit of a challenge when you're 
moving out of the city here and, and trying to organize events from across the country. So uh, if you want to sh- send us an email, that would that greatly appreciate it. If you want to mark your calendars, if you live there, uh, we're planning tentatively kind of like a November, November 30th, give or take a couple days is, is kind of the idea. So uh, again, shoot us an email. We would definitely appreciate the help with that. Um, but without further ado, Keith, uh, lost a touch on this week. Um, you know, I'm going to get a little bit on the housing front. I mean, we've got some just mayhem, I think in the bond market, um, confidence indexes, there's just, there's a lot happening right now. And we're kind of just waiting. This, this crescendo is building up. Um, but I wanted to frame up this week's conversation around the housing fogs. We've been talking about it a lot over the last couple months which is okay you know we've got the federal government which is just getting destroyed in the polls um made worse over the last uh couple days here by not vetting their guests um which we promised to do (laughs) we've always vet our guests here at the loony hour so we do sometimes haven't we i don't think we've had a bad guest at all we've got great guests it's because we vet them (laughs) with (laughs) We got another good one coming up here, another probably week or two. So that that's going to be a big name drop for the for the Looney Hour. But um, so the federal government's been you know it's the working. prime minister. Tell him he's coming on. He's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah. but you know we've had the federal government. You know they changed their housing minister. They changed their immigration minister. They've been doing all these things trying to get back in the polls and and right the ship kind of thing. And so you'll notice, you know, we talked about it, I think, over the last week or two, which was, okay, you know, they they removed GST on, on rental construction, which was like a huge move for them. You know, it's a 5% savings to the developers. And then they've been announcing their housing accelerator fund, which for the first time in 18 months got their first sort of applicant. And, uh, you know, so lo and behold, we're starting to slowly make some progress. And then we had the... Metro Vancouver region, uh, so several of the municipalities, uh, just came out and said, well, we are going to increase our development charges. So basically what they're going to do is the proposed changes would increase the development charges from January 2022 to January of 2027. So over that period of time, you're going to see about a 626% increase in your development cost charges, which would add roughly about $15,000 to every single condo unit brought to the market. And is that so for the I, whole province or for a specific municipality? Uh, it's quite for, so it's for the Metro Vancouver region. So basically all the municipalities say, hey, listen, we've got all this like infrastructure that we need to sort of uh, pay for, you know, sewer upgrades, uh, sewage treatment plants, et cetera, et cetera. So these Metro, so basically it's kind of complicated. And, and to be honest, I'm still like learning a little bit about how these all work, but um, I actually just went to a, a keynote speech with the mayor of Vancouver and he was kind of explaining it as well. Uh, Cause he's like, this is kind of new for me as a guy that came from the private sector to learning about like, you know, people look and say, Oh, when your property taxes are going up every year, the city of Vancouver doesn't actually get like most of that, they actually get spread out amongst all the other sort of the region um and and different levels of government so basically the metro vancouver board says listen we're going to raise our development cost charges it's going to add fifteen thousand dollars per unit and so effectively what that's doing is it's actually removing the benefit of the gst removal so the federal government says listen we need to save developers money so they can keep building during this downturn (laughs) uh but then the municipalities are like well listen guys we need the tax dollars so we're going to ramp up our fees and 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 basically negate the benefit of the GST. That sounds uh, like Russian disinformation or something, man. Hmm. There's no way that's that's true. Spare the pot. But uh, no, this is true. And so then, did you see Rich's eye roll? Then he was like, <laughs> "Oh man." For <laughs> ten minutes in, we've already got conspiracy theories. Please, can we move on? Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> So anyways, we had Sean Fraser, who's the the federal government housing minister. Uh, So he then came out and says, well, we're going to like pull funding basically on two of the municipalities that we had just approved in this Metro Vancouver region. It's now on hold until so basically now they're fighting. Uh, There's no agreement 
about how to do this. But this, this brings me to like the larger point, Keith, which is like, I think you've been pounding at home for many, many years is like all of these levels of government, whether it's like federal, provincial, municipal, all of them are starved for tax dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it. so, you know, I think everyone knows now the total global debt, I think Rich, you shared with us recently, we've now exceeded 300 trillion, depending on which way you, you slice it and, and dice it up. And, uh, you know, ever since I was young, you know, I was a little boy, you'd hear, oh, there's too much debt, you know, this debt bubble is going to break. And, you know, the 80s came, the 90s, the O's, the 10s, and it kept going and nothing ever happened. But what was also happening during that time frame with, with interest rates? They were high and coming down. Yeah, they kept going lower and lower. So now we're finally at this point where everyone is just, you know, saturated in debt at the exact point in time when rates have troughed, you know, they can't go any lower in the real world. And now they're going higher again. So, you, so you're right, Steve, like everyone, you know, they're looking, uh, you know, for, for pennies in the, in the, in this Chesterfield now, or, or the sofa, depending on if you're an American or, or, or a Brit, you know, to, to pay for stuff so that we, we should expect this to continue. I, I don't know how it, it doesn't. There's well, another I know wrinkle. how it doesn't. We, we get an adjustment in, on the debt side, of course. There's another wrinkle, Keith, which is not only is the debt exorbitant, it's also about like when that debt comes due and when that debt needs to be renewed. So if you owe a lot of debt and it's a long duration you know, liability, which is to say you have to pay back that lump sum in 30 years when interest rates go up, it doesn't really affect you, right? But what's... The problem we're having now is many countries. So I was looking at Italy last week. I was writing a note about Italy, and um, and Miss Maloney, the Prime Minister of uh, of Italy, tried to you know, speaking of trying to raise cash, she tried to tax profits of the banks there. And on the Bloomberg machine, if you type in DDIS, you get a debt distribution, so you can see what like over the years that are you know going out until you know next century, whatever I guess. How much debt is due over in 2023 and 2024? And so some jurisdictions have made, let's say, not the wisest decision with respect to issuing that debt. And I think Italy, for example, has to refinance 364 million. No, yeah. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of money. And so, yeah, so it's not only so Steve, yeah, just it's not just the total debt. It's also when that debt's coming due, when that debt's getting rolled over. So like many households in Canada, lots of these governments are going to have to roll over this debt in the next couple of years at much higher interest rates. So this this leads me to like the continuation of the story because it kind of just keeps getting better, right? So like, you know, there's always like everyone's kind of freaking about the housing crisis. So we've got all levels of government kind of trying to again, they almost need to coordinate because it's like there's so many factors that go into this. And so you have one of the ones that we've been leading up and waiting and waiting for the announcement was the BC government. So, you know, we've already talked about the feds, we've talked to the municipalities. Now we've got the BC government involved and what they're doing is they release their, basically they call it like a naughty list where basically they are imposing targets on municipalities. They're imposing targets on municipalities. And um, so what they've done is they said, okay, you need to hit these 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 ten targets, uh, or so these, these this list basically, and it says gives them like a target for a number of housing completions. So not housing starts or approvals. It's like you need to your city needs to have this many completions. Uh, and if they don't hit those completions, what they're going to do is they're going to basically start pulling funding or or not, or not giving them the tax dollars that these municipalities need. Now, the problem is, is while it's a great theory, you know, in concept, the reality is, um, is that these municipalities, you, you can't, you can't force the private sector to build, right? So if you've got rising interest rates and an economic downturn, is the private sector going to build? You can give them all the targets that you want. And you can you can re you could rezone the entire city of Vancouver right now, but is the private sector are these projects credit worthy, and are they financially viable? And I would argue that a lot of them in today's environment are not. 
and people are naturally um, pulling back. So these targets, well, you could, everybody's- You could just- go with the uh, Chinese strategy, you know, a centrally planned economy, and it, you know, it works until it doesn't work. And of course, with them, like it was no miracle. It's just simply like borrowing non-stop all the time. So like if, you know, if you give builders or anyone else like a target to hit, like you say, Steve, you know, you know it, in, a, in, a, in capitalism, in the private sector, you know, we will continue to produce, you know, our output as long as we're able to get a return that is uh, expected, you know, for that investment. But if you tell us to produce more and we're getting losses on it, then, you know, we're not going to do it. So uh, I don't know where, you know, we're in a real tough spot here. But only if the economy slows to a point where it, it does become a, a struggle. So you think about like government deficits, you know. What, so I think being there in Canada, there was a forty billion dollar deficit. They're uh, they're projecting. Some, yeah, I've got some comments on that too. But continue. Yeah, and uh, man, your voice sounds good, Steve. You got a real like <laughs> rich. Sorry, sorry about that, boys. My it sounds, it sounds better now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a lot better. I think people noticed that maybe it wasn't quite optimal. <laughs> kind of like the whole uh, plant uh, building. But, uh, you know, governments, are, you know, they, they're always going to run deficits. That's the way it is. But whenever you see an improvement in the deficit number, the first thing they're going to do is compare it to the G7. That is better than oh. everyone else's. <laughs> Our <All> favorite. Right? <laughs> Our favorite. But the second thing they're going to do is say it's because we're really good at doing this. But no, it's not, not at all. It just simply means that the economy grew a bit faster or uh, tax revenue collection was, was a bit faster or something like that than what was expected. Governments around the world now, including here in Canada, and as well as at the provincial level and, and municipal, they absolutely need the economy to keep on booming and going strong. Because if if it doesn't, someone's going to run into trouble and then they're going to raise their hand and say, hey, we need some help with this. And you know, it, it trickles up and down the uh, line but that's what we see rich what were you just about to say before i uh jumped in oh oh i forgot now <laughs> it's well, like I, a gold i'm like a gold it's like a gold fish my uh, memory only lasts for about a second or two i've got a comment on your uh deficit stuff there uh heath uh because as i was talking about you know the bc government here and trying to ramp up housing and all this and uh, obviously bc's uh an economy that is heavily dependent on real estate um I'd argue it's our number one industry here. Uh, but so BC, uh, there's some updated deficit numbers. So BC's deficit is projected to jump by $2.5 billion to a $6.7 billion deficit. Um, and so over the next, uh, and they're on track to run a $14 billion deficit over the next three years. Uh, and BC's uh, Minister of Finance says that there is no plans to cut programs or raise taxes. And that BC will ride the deficits because there is no alternative to reduce supports for people. So there's no plan to cut services, which I believe that, you know, that that's the plan. And there's no plan. Of course, he's going to say there's no plan to raise taxes. So let, let's make a, you know, a, a twinkie bet on, you know, what happens with, uh, you know, the good, the good lads over there in, in BC. I, I, and I'll bet you, you know, the taxes are going to go up. That's going this, to happen. And yeah. this is also, uh, Rich, you'll like this. I and mean, this is also with record population growth uh, in this country, which is obviously increasing the tax base, right? Um, so we did have the numbers came out revised. Remember, we undercounted by something like a million people. So Stats Can has now come out with the revised figure, but Canada's population still grew uh, at the highest rate. Uh, in a single year since 1957. Mm -hmm. So we added about a million, just over a million people over the last 12 months. Um, So it was originally a 1.2 million. It's been revised down to 1.05. So we have 150,000 revision, but nonetheless, uh, that's a lot of people increasing the tax base here in this country and, and obviously deficits blowing out. And, and I think this kind of leads to probably a larger conversation, which is, Governments now with these deficits and and huge tax burdens are obviously having to to refinance this debt or roll the debt over at much much higher interest rates, and I would argue probably falling uh, falling tax base as asset prices decline and and uh, you know fewer home sales and 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 whatnot. 
So I have a question, Keith, maybe you know the answer. I know I don't because I, I certainly don't. But in the U.S., states are not allowed to run budget deficits. So it's like in their constitution or whatever it is. So no, when they revenues are. aren't they? Excuse me. They no, are. they're. Oh, we should definitely check this. I do. I don't believe they're allowed to. States are not allowed. We can. You can Google it while I'm talking. So as I understand it, states are not allowed to run budget deficits in the United States. So when tax revenue goes down, they have to cut programs. And my question is for Keith is like because you know more about the provincial bond market and etc. Are there certain like either covenants or rules around that? And how do these uh, how do these provinces fund themselves ultimately if there's let's say a, a buyer strike on these bonds? I mean, and again, we're not in an emergency situation, so the Bank of Canada can't go and and buy these these bonds. But I mean, is there like a an active or a captive market in like the insurance market? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, the I don't know the U.S. state story. So if any any listener yeah, are able, it to... is correct. I'm looking at it right now. So the uh, the states uh, and the municipalities uh, in the United States are not around are not allowed to run um, a deficit. Which I mean, I know the municipalities in Canada are not allowed to run deficits either. Okay, phew, got that right. But that anyway. makes no sense because <laughs> California is one of the largest sovereign borrowers in in the world so it says the governor am i wrong with saying that balanced budget yeah prohibited from sign with left hand and do something else with the right hand (laughs) yeah but that's not my question my question is more about like how do investors and and bond uh, buyers of these instruments i mean how do they feel about it i mean are we seeing the spreads blow out between provincial and canadian government um, I mean, are, are, I mean, is these products that you would ever consider? Are your are your competitors interested in these products? Why or why not? Uh, that is the important question, but I'm also interested in the unimportant question about how the states <laughs> yeah, they they are borrowing. I know they are, uh, like even you know you heard of muni bonds, right? In, in the U.S., yeah. so they you know there's definitely we, we'll have to go into that on another uh, another we'll do some research episode of the Looney Hour. Yeah. <laughs> episode number 484 we'll, we'll dive into that uh, a lot deeper municipal taxes the... episode 44 mark it on your calendar <laughs> <laughs> we'll dive into that one the uh but provincial bonds there's uh you know they, they're always being issued and i think investors have to realize that you have institutional investors and then everyone else everyone else it's just like us and what we manage at ice cap like we're, we're making strategic and tactical changes all the time because we're small enough we can do that you know we can move in and out we want and the market doesn't care you know when when we do that but whenever just to back back up a second though there's so much money being contributed to retirement plans in canada and the u.s and elsewhere so whether it's like defined benefit plans defined contribution plans you know rsps and all that stuff there's net savings always coming into the system and a portion of that is always allocated to the bond market no matter what because you know people are sheep they just tick that box and that's the way it goes and then by default because if you're a bond manager and money comes in and you're going to get paid an extra 18 basis points for buying a a provincial bond over a federal bond uh, there's, there's competition for that issuance when, when it comes up. So during a normal cycle, Rich, uh, provincial debt, it, it'll get bought up all the time. And then it'll rarely hit the market. They just tuck it away and it's it's there until it matures. Uh, now, that's fine and dandy until there is a credit event like what we had back with, with the pandemic. And when that happens, uh, then there's no one out there that wants to buy this stuff. And that's what happened to, New- to Newfoundland back in, I think it was maybe March or April of 2020, they just happened to be first up, the first province that had to borrow money because they had a bond, they had to roll it over. And I remember when it's happening, they couldn't get any buyers, there was no bid on the street. So they go to their brokers, say, hey, we need to uh, raise this much. The broker, they put it out there and they come back, no bid. They say, well, can you do it again? I said, okay, still no bid, still zero. So then they call, uh, you know, Ottawa, the the Minister of Finance, and say, hey, we have no bid or a bond issuance. You know, we need your help. And they say, well, we can't help you either right now because we kind of got our own challenges. 
So then they go to the Bank of Canada. So that's sort of the the steps, what happens. But and that's what we expect will happen again at, at some point soon. But that's that, that's the great setup because it's not really shorting that market. It's understanding how capital will flow as a result of, of that event because then you'll have it reflect on the currency side. But well, it's, Keith, uh, it's that, a big that market. Remi- that reminds me of another, you know, we talk about the G7 and how it's just such a bogus comparable um, well, it also reminds me quickly about how uh, our Canadian finance minister was like, oh, Canada's federal debt as a percent of GDP is the lowest in the G7. But of course, what that does is it conveniently misses all the provincial and local government debt, which effectively Canada, um, not maybe not explicitly, but certainly implicitly is on the hook for. And I think that that's what you've sort of outlined why that why that's so. Yeah, and just before the pandemic, uh, the size of the provincial bond market was was roughly equal to the federal yeah. bond market in in Canada. Now it's a bit more lopsided again because you know the the federal government took the debt, so you wouldn't have to. You remember, remember that one? I like that <laughs> yeah. quote. Yeah, I think Glenn asked that sort of in that in that interview. Uh, but anyways, but that's uh, the payoff. It's about a th- it's about a hundred percent of GDP, basically, or maybe a little bit more now. Anyway, yeah, cool. So what you're saying basically is, long story short, you've got this uh, massive debt bubble, uh, bond bubble that is more or less imploding at the moment. Um, you know, we talked about the long bond down, something like close to fifty percent from the um, from the peak and during the depths of the pandemic there. Um, and it seems like every every morning you wake up and you refresh the uh, the bloom tubes there, Keith, that uh, yields are pushing higher every day. Yeah, to continue to go higher, but what's what's uh, you know what we like? You no, know, we have a view. We we think we are going for recession. I mean that that's been our view. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's certainly happening in Europe and China, and uh, I suspect it, it will creep over to, to this side of the pond. That, Rich, yeah. Do you think we're already in a recession and you're just waiting for the data to be revised twelve months from now? You are in Germany. It sure feels that way. Yeah, it could be, but as they say, it's. You know, it's just bad luck if your neighbor loses their job. But if you lose your job, then it's a recession. So uh, like, I'm not hearing of any mass layoffs at this point. I don't know if, if you guys are. I'm not seeing that. Yeah. I just know it's it's not as many job hirings are, are taking place, what I see. And it, it just feels a, a bit more of a, I mean, for God's sakes, who the hell can buy stuff anymore? Things are so expensive. But um with the you, you go back to whether you know this is a bond bubble and, and all that one thing that we like to watch closely are, are credit spreads so so that's the difference between what you know you and I and rich and other people pay to borrow versus what the government is paying to borrow the, the difference is we got to pay more than what the government will pay and that difference is called a spread for uh you know times are getting uh t- times are getting worse or they're declining when that spread starts to get wider. And, and that's not quite happening yet. Right. So there's still not, you know, the alarm bells aren't going off. But that, but that's the next thing that you want to watch to see happen. And we're watching it closely. And uh, once that starts to go, then, you know, okay, yeah, now we, we are heading over, you know, into the darker side of, of the uh, of the economy. But we're not there yet. But it still doesn't feel awesome, though, right? Like, it's not an awesome setup. Why- why haven't those no. spreads blown out yet? Though? I actually, I actually, I kind of know. So in 2020, when the yields, when all the uh, interest rates did fall, loads, I, I can speak for the United States because I, I know this market a bit better than the, the Canada, but um, a lot of these non-financial corporates basically refinanced and they refinanced at these super low interest rates. They took advantage of that and they actually pushed, they lowered their coupon payments by about hundred basis points and they pushed out that debt maturity. Um, what's the and, duration? Like what? What? So, so it's changed. It depends. It depends on you're talking high yield or you're talking. Um, if you're talking high yield or you're talking investment grade. So I think the average maturity was about six years before 2020, and it dropped all the way down to five years, but it's starting to creep back up a little bit. And so, but and that's the, that's the thing. It's like those years are ticking away really quickly, right? So if if, so, if you refinance your debt in 2020 
we're already 2024. And then of course, those are averages, right? So different companies will have different debt maturities. So it's difficult. It's unfair to use just, you know, the average is not just a single amorphous block, right? There are different companies that are reaching these sort of refinancing um, maturities quicker than others, and some will have longer than others. But that date is is basically on the horizon. So because there was no issuance over the last basically couple of years, or it's not no, but much, much less issuance over the last couple of years, anybody who wanted any kind of high yield product effectively was scrambling to get what was out there, e.g. that scarcity pulled those spreads in, along with decent growth and decent earnings, and et cetera. But but the question really is it's it's sort of 2024's question when these maturities start coming due and much the same it is as it's coming for due for households in Canada and what have you, it, that's the expectation that as these company high yield less um, credit worthy borrowers start to issue more debt to roll it over under a, a Keith's you know view that the growth is getting weaker then you'll see those spreads come out but until now those spreads are very very tight Steve. Yeah, so you'd say 2025 is kind of maybe a more important year, which I know for the real estate market that 2025 is 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 the bulk of your mortgage. 2024 and 2025 is actually the bulk of the renewals. Creating visual content is an essential part of what I do, but the creative process hasn't always been easy. That is, until we discovered Canva. The Looney Hour uses Canva to create images for thumbnails, social media posts, and event signage. Designing custom artwork using Canva is so easy, even the boomer can do it. Canva for Teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format, from social media posts, videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since I found Canva for Teams, it has been easy to collaborate and design with a team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We've used Canva to collab with our marketing team to design images using pre-formatted templates, easily dragging and dropping our logo to create professional-looking media in a matter of minutes and at a fraction of the cost. Canva for Teams is an awesome way to quickly and easily create branding and media assets for your business. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams right now. You can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash loonyhour. That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash loonyhour. You think we make it to 2025? <laughs> What do you mean, like in life, like the, around the sun? Yeah, I'm pretty confident we'll, the earth will continue moving around the sun. Oh, dear. Or I'm... risk assets. <laughs> well, speaking of... Uh... Risk assets, I'm not so sure, but the earth, I think, will make it. Well, speaking of like, you know, government revisions, I know everybody's trying to do their best. And, you know, I think Stats Can is probably one of the worst government agencies. Um, I disagree with that. Carry on. You disagree? I just think we give them a lot of shit for something that's very difficult to do. So okay. anyway, carry on. That to, wasn't your point. We're back to this again. Oh Come my on. god, that's not the keep going. Oh, keep going. Geez. Okay, okay, fine. Uh, if listeners, that... Rich is in love with Statistics Canada. <laughs> we can agree that data days. collection is very <laughs> difficult to do, which also makes it prone to revisions, which is a little bit alarming when you consider that central banks are you know, eagerly awaiting every single data point to set the price of money across the world. And so, you know, it's just, there was a revision out today that, uh, you know, apparently uh, Americans saved 1.1 trillion less than thought from wow. 2017 to 2022. Uh, so this is from the um, government, uh, the Bureau of Economic Analysis now calculates that Americans stashed away an average of 8.3% of their disposable income annually, uh, down from a previously uh, previously estimate of 9.4%. So that's about 1.1 trillion when you're on the math. And, uh, and you know, we're seeing this now on the, you know, the, the big story kind of throughout the pandemic was, you know, all oh, the consumers flush with cash. Everybody has so much savings. Um, you know, they're getting all these free checks in the mail. And so now if you look at the updated sort of numbers here, uh, excess savings uh, outside of the top 20% of the wealthiest Americans, uh, everybody has now run out of their extra excess savings during the pandemic. So basically what you're saying is household savings or household excess cash uh, is below pre pre pandemic levels for 80% of the U S economy. 
Okay, so wait, there's I gotta jump in here. I'm not just some simp for the stats people. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it, Steve, you won't let it go. You won't let it go. <laughs> I'm just saying they're off by ten. Show. They were they were <laughs> they were off by ten percent. They were calculating the entire savings of an entire economy over X amount of years, and they were off by ten percent. That's that's not that bad. You know, anyways, but the other thing, I think the more important point of moving away from the source spot is I think we're seeing that across the board. I think we're seeing that that reduction of savings, especially on the lower income scale. So the, either the lower two quartiles, probably. And and the way I would almost prove to you using like or corroborate, I should say, is the delinquency rates. So the delinquency rates for on auto loans and credit cards, especially for smaller banks, which cater to those lower income people in America are starting to creep up basically across the board, whereas the delinquency rates for the richer people, e.g. the heart, the larger banks, again, broad strokes are, are flat. But Keith, go ahead. <laughs> Tom, how hey, bad still, stats can I'm is. Just, I'm just going to wrap my head around the whole love for the, uh, the, the, the stats <laughs> stuff. Uh, I think Steve's point was a lot more important than yours. But, the, uh, but Steve's point, again, it goes with, you know, how much money do we really have in, in excess savings to spend? That That's what's happening. And there's lots of different data points to suggest that there's not as much excess money available to, to spend. And when that happens, the only way the economy can grow on an aggregate basis is, you know, we ought to get a raise or bonuses or you bring more people in. Or you and borrow. able to work, yeah, or, or you borrow. And, you know, all this is sort of colliding at, at the same time. So, uh, you know, whether it happens, you know, now or next quarter or Q1 or something, again, like this, this is sort of stacked against, uh, you know, the, the economy right now, because the only way for it to reaccelerate, we, we need the global economy to reaccelerate, which means the Chinese, you know, the, the, the panda gets kicked out of the room, the, the Europeans, they sort things out, the Irish win the Rugby World Cup, which I think they will. And, you know, the Americans continue to do their, to do their magic at the central bank and in treasury. So, uh, so just, that's a lot of, you know, low probability events happening at the same so time. Just so we uh, can summarize this, what you're saying is excess cash for 80% of Americans is now lower than it was pre-pandemic. Um, meanwhile, student loan payments are recommencing. Uh, on starting in October. And so people are kind of out of cash. So their credit card balances are ballooning and they're starting to default on that and their auto loan payments. Yet credit spreads, credit spreads remain in check. And the economy supposedly is still very, very strong and we have excess demand. So higher for longer interest rates and no landing. Well, the higher the interest, I mean, inflation's higher for longer because of partly because of the way that the CPI is constructed and the shelter component, which is still very high. House prices actually rose last week. That was an inch on month on month. That was an interesting wrinkle. The Case Shiller 20 city um, house price that index lags rose. Like, uh, that just lags. saying, just saying it's, it rose and, it, and it's making new highs. Um, on the corporate side, corporate balance sheets are relatively clean. Margins are still high, although they are absolutely falling on the low on for smaller smaller cap companies. Um, Non-defense X airline durable goods orders, surprise to the upside. I'm just saying, I think Keith's right and you're right, Steve. Make no mistake, I'm not trying to contradict you guys. On balance, there's definitely a growing number of negative data points that are starting to accumulate and accumulate but there are some holdouts that you know there are some holdouts here hey let's let's do one of those polls we do here on on the zoom <laughs> we'll set it up and so three of us can three add, people up, here. yeah i know there's only three you you and i and, and rich how about we do one we're going to raise our hands real real quick <laughs> okay. um, and and the question is does Canada hit a recession in the next 12 months? Is that a good question? Or should it be phrased? I think it's too what, obvious what question? question, Steve, no? Steve's raising this. Steve has a question. You raised your hand. Oh, I don't have a question. I raised my hand in favor. Oh, you're I think voting. 
Okay, what, what's the better question then? We need something to... We're already in a recession here. I agree with that. I, I, did a, I did the podcast with the Canadian investor guys, and they asked me the same question. And I, I answered the same. So just to be, just so people know I'm consistent and truthful in my responses. Because G, GDP per capita has been shrinking. And it has been since, uh, for a while now. I think for the last you, six even quarters if you or whatever. per capita, Q2 is negative, And I bet you Q3 is probably going to be negative too. I think the problem okay, is, so is you need the labor market to, to cooperate. And it hasn't so far. Yeah, so Sorry, let's Keith. reframe. Yeah, let's reframe it then. Uh, how about we approach the question as, do we have a hard landing in the next 12 months? Because I think a lot of people argue right now. I mean, you know, like you guys just, hey, you know, we're already in a recession. And it's, it's, I think it's sluggish, but we're not in a recession right now in, in Canada. Like, it's not, one. yeah, exactly. It's okay. I got to allocate more money for the mortgage payment and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's less money left over to do things. I, I no doubt that is happening. But again, we don't have this. You know, people aren't lining up, you know, down down to get, uh, you know, to collect employment benefits and things like that yet. So the question is, who amongst the, the two of you or the three of us, <laughs> do, do we hit that uh, experience in, in the next 12 months? So we'll go one, two, three and raise your hand or don't raise your If you raise your hand, Rich, it means you agree it will happen. Are you with us, Rich? Yeah, I'm listening. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about three, the question. Three, two, one. Okay. <laughs> three, two, one. Yeah. Oh, no. man. You were you were like Joe Biden then, Steve. <laughs> the people who are, who are listening, they can't see it on the uh, on, on the YouTube. Back when uh, the Democrats had their uh, leadership race for the 2020 uh, election, there, there's this famous scene. I think it has happened as well with, with, with Republicans. It's great. Tell yeah. us the story. But I remember Biden, uh, there was like 20 of them on the stage in this like very soft arc. And I forget what the question was. Do you remember what it was, Rich? Was I don't like, remember the question, but I, I remember. <laughs> whatever the question was, you know, it was it was a very uh, soft, social leaning kind of question. And you had to raise your hand whether you agreed with the statement. And, and, and Biden was way down on the end of, of the line. So he couldn't quite see what everyone else was doing. And so they asked the question. He very quickly leaned over and looked down the line and see what everybody else was doing. And then he very quickly raised his hand as well. You know, he's, yeah, I vote with these guys too. And uh, I think the same thing happened with the Republican. Uh, That's right. Debate. They had, was it DeSantis, I think? Did it, it, I think or? it was. It was, the it was the first debate. And uh, yeah. the same thing happened. <laughs> <laughs> these guys like they're all oh boy just anyway which way the wind is blowing and then <laughs> yeah and just then we just did and then you know like you know the, the boomer here had his hand up right away i think that's where we're headed uh you know steve looks over at the screen and sees me with a hand up he raised his and you're still thinking rich so where I'm are still you uh, so i just think know? so hard landing i agree with i but the what caught me i i guess what makes it more challenging is whether it's going to be 12 months or not and I think that that's where I I think that what, that's do you think the it'll part. be longer. I just think it'll take a little bit longer. And I don't I'm not trying to be like 12 months and one day here. <laughs> what I mean is just I think that just the dynamics of the labor market will play out such that it's, in order to get a hard landing, I think let's qualify it. I think you need infl uh, unemployment to rise by what, two, three, four percent, Keith, and you have negative economic growth. And I think that that's the part where you actually I think that that's where it just takes a little longer. I think that a lot of these things play out, right? So the peak in in real estate prices in the United States, just as a stupid example, was in 2006. But it took a year and a half for Michael Blurry of you know big short fame to be proven right on his trades, almost two years. And so I think that that's where sometimes we conflate sort of this the sentiment with sort of the data finally cooperating. And so that, that's what, why. Yeah, that's fair. I think what we can say, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we can pretty confidently say that like almost every aspect of the economy seemingly peaked in like February, March of 2022. Yeah, that's, that's I can tell you fair. for housing in Canada and the US, that was like the tippy top was February, March of 2022. And so since then, it seems like it's been a, a slow grind, sl like lower or weaker. Um, 
And Steve, you realize you and I did commit the cardinal sin and, and Rich didn't fall into the trap. Uh, you know, we, we made a prediction with a timestamp on it as well. <laughs> you never do both, by the way. You either say something might happen, you're not sure when, or you say by this time something might happen. You know, you never say what that something might well, be. What do we mean? We're basically, I mean, so since like the economy, I argue like the global economy effectively peaked in February, March of last 2022, we're like 18 months into a slowdown. So yeah, that that's actually a good counter to my point. Um, so I think I was we're gonna... already right then. We're already right. The obvious question is, is will the Looney Hour still be around 12 months from now anyway to, to collect we, on we this might, We might get canceled before then. But but, be. but I wanted to throw something, you know, give you guys a point, which is the one data point that came out today, I think, is the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses? I got it. Oh. CFIB, um, which is really cool. It actually it does a it has a great sort of um, they do it's a it's a survey basically of independent businesses naturally, and they ask all kinds of questions. And they had a decline in their main economic indicator, of which we haven't we've only seen four times before. So it basically fell to forty eight or whatever. I'm trying to dig up the damn number. I can't seem to find it's it. It's on Keith's Twitter. You stole his tweet. Oh yeah, that's right. I stole. I stole. Your, I stole your tweet, Keith. Yeah, I was. I was pretty. Uh, I'm never that fast with doing anything, really. Like my my friends and family would tell you, but I, I was. I was pretty swift this morning to speak yeah. that out from Rich. But it's but it's amazing, and and it's you know it's it's a huge number, and that number hasn't been as that low since basically you know the pandemic or the government shutdowns in in reaction to the pandemic, and so it's 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 quite a remarkable number. Now it is volatile. So you have to be careful. Again, never, <laughs> never cheer yourself on after one data point here. But it will be interesting to see how this sort of evolves. And naturally, the within it, obviously, you have to look at sort of the, the sort of the components: capex, spending, um, hiring and firing, inflation expectations, and all that stuff. Well, to that point, uh, consumer confidence in Canada as well. I think came out a couple oh, yeah. of days before the uh, the business survey there, and that's also. At its lowest levels um, outside the pandemic. I mean, we're getting close to the the depths of the pandemic, so Canadian consumers aren't very confident at all, uh, and businesses appear not very confident either. So, you know, I, I think both of that will probably lead into spending, or as you would say, you know, capex. You know, if you're going to start investing in your business, how confident are you going to get? You know, over the next twelve months, you're going to get a return on that investment. You know. Uh, you might want to stockpile some cash for a rainy day. So I think that ultimately probably leads us lower, Keith. He's yeah, looking, you know what? He's looking at his uh, Instagram. He's sleeping. <laughs> I don't have Sleepy that one. Joe. I, I don't have that. <laughs> I do like a nap every now and then. I, I do admit that. Um, there was... Uh, it, one, one of the followers we have of, of the podcast on, on Twitter sent us a question or an observation they have, which, which I think is quite interesting. And um, let me see. I think it's the right one. Oh, yeah. So the question was, um, you know, do, do we – are we following? Do we have any thoughts um, whether we see a, uh, a developing or looming social crisis when it comes to retirement in Canada, uh, considering the current backdrop. And it's sort of referencing, there, there was a note that came out that it shows in the U.S. that the percentage of U.S. homeless for people over 50 years old, so in the 90s, it was 11%. In 03, it was 37%. And then 23, it's 50%. So I find that hard to believe, but 50% of people older than 50 are homeless. Like, and that doesn't that sound sounds wrong. That yeah, doesn't make any sense. Sound, that it's on the internet. again? It, it must be true. But stats I think can. if you ignore if you ignore the number, maybe it's just people getting older or whatever. But um but the question is interesting. So let's have a talk about that. You know, from you know obviously there's a, there's a the homeless crisis it, it is accelerating in Canada. We we see it everywhere we go across the country here and I'm not seeing a lot of solutions from it where I am here and, and we travel elsewhere. But is it the older part of the population that's more at, at trouble here than younger ones? Because if you're older, maybe you have 
less opportunity to, to continue working or to get a job again. I think one of the big risks is if they're holding a lot of bonds in their investment portfolio, you know, gets muttered, <laughs> you know tongue in cheek, but it, it's yeah. absolutely true. But it, I just thought it was an interesting, uh, you know, perspective that was brought up. So it's basically our older people at trouble here if we do get a hard uh, economic landing. Does that make sense or no well, sense? Yeah, that does. Go ahead. Go ahead. Steve. Well, I, I think like, I mean, I've been observing it for a while now. I I, I kind of play into the uh, fourth turning thesis with, with Neil Howe. Um. But I, I, I feel like society is definitely breaking down. Um, I think the 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 gap between the haves and the have-nots. I think the, yeah, I think it's really just been the debasement of 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 money over the last, particularly over the last couple of years. But over the last decade, you're just seeing it getting worse and worse and worse. And and I think like, you know, you look at all these these these. Uh, stores being looted in in parts of the U.S. Uh, you know the homelessness that's getting worse and worse in cities like Vancouver, Toronto. More glass being broken, more violence. Um, I just think that's just society breaking down. Uh, I think it's a you know just to jump in. I think it's a good like I'm glad this question was asked because normally like we talk about the economy whether we're growing or we're not growing and you know, stuff like that. And but in my mind, we're, I'm, I'm not thinking about seniors. I'm always thinking about, you know, the 30-year-old who's working really hard and the 40-year-old and, and pre-retirement. So I, I think it is, you know, we don't have a solution for it, of course, of course the, the three of us here. But, you know, there there is an older generation, even though they may not be working right now, but, but they are going to be, you know, feeling the, the stress if we do get a, a hard turn down here and it maybe maybe their rent goes up and, and stuff like that. But it, I think it's something that all of us as Canadians or families, we, you know, you know, call your folks and your aunts and uncles and, and grannies and stuff, you know, make sure everyone is okay here. I think we have to be careful, though. Number one, that number is wrong. It, one out of every two people and over the age of 50 is not homeless. That that. So there was something. It sounds like one of those. There. It sounds like one of those surveys where they say every Canadian is two hundred dollars away from yeah being bankrupt, and I mean, and they've been saying it for thirteen years. Let's not let's not let's not focus on that specific number. I just want to be very clear about that. Well, that it, it's a number, a and it's on Twitter and on the <laughs> internet, so, so it must be uh, true. But I think the, the the key point is really is the vulnerability aspect, and I think we should absolutely address that. And people say why. Well, because a lot of these people are on fixed incomes, right? Um, either a defined benefit pension plan. I'm sure some of them are on defined contribution fan. Um, okay. Can't read that, Keith. I can't read that, Keith. It's, it's but, actually um, Wall Street Journal. But it can't be half. And I can tell you, but just anyways, let's let's not that's not the yeah, point. Yeah, let's really. not worry about the number. I'm so, the, the number, yeah, it was re- just, it was really uh, about um is really about sort of the vulnerability these people have, and a lot of them are on fixed income, and which is why inflation is so pernicious. I mean, as far as the society breaking down thing, I think we need to be also really careful about because, you know, in the 90s, just using American statistics, I mean, murder rates were double what they are now. So, like, yes, we've seen a tick up in violent crime basically across the board um, on all kinds of different. But we forget what it was like in the 80s. And I think it's important to remember we survived that and, you know, we'll probably survive this. And I think we often sort of whether it's. Whether I whether it's you know um, you know different scientific issues that people are arguing about now or or societal issues, I think people often we overestimate the importance and acuteness of the hardship in a recent history rather than sort of having a historical context. I think that's what happens. I mean, all that's the time. a good, very good point. I think you're always the uh, the good balancing act here. <laughs> Uh, but I think the Keith, but Keith, but the Keith's point is about like these fixed income products. These people who are on fixed income, I think, are absolutely getting squeezed, and in some cases, killed. I mean, if if you retired, you know, five six years ago, and you you were oh you you know you're taking a fifteen hundred dollar pension, I mean, that fifteen hundred dollars is not going anywhere near as far as it did, let's say, four or five years ago. And we don't think about that enough. And I don't know what's going to happen in the UK, for example. There's something called a triple lock, and a lot of these pensioners. 
sometimes um, basically have a the minimum of RPI, CPI, or whatever, or like the average wage growth. I can't remember exactly the three things, but effectively it guarantees sort of that pension um, um, sort of payment from the government in real terms. And in Canada, that's absolutely not the case. Well, I think we also need to be careful though, because baby boomers have the lion's share of the wealth um, and the assets in this country and in the US. And so I don't really feel that sorry for them, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you see that? He doesn't, he doesn't feel sorry for the boomers. Rich I don't feel no, sorry for the boomers. Do you have, do you have no, not even empathy? Absolutely not. No, they wrote, they wrote interest Keith? rates from 20% to zero, and everybody thinks they're an investment genius. And now, and they have, uh, yeah, no, no. I don't feel sorry for the He's boomers. Sorry. you and your big house. <laughs> oh, boy. Next thing you're going to say, the Canadians weren't that good in the 70s either. So that's, I mean, there that's was only six bit... teams. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh dear. dear. Now bring like, on the comments. Like you say, Rich, like you joke off, you're going to be alone hey. for a long time. <laughs> hey. hey, Keith, while he's on this, uh, while he's on this tangent, while we got Keith going, or while we got Rich going, why don't we just keep stirring the pot um, to kind of round up the show here? There was um, statistics from the Bank of Canada, which My said favorite. Oh, the carbon tax, <clears throat> carbon tax applies something like 0.15% to headline inflation. So it contributes to inflation, but for the Bank of Canada's own research, you know, maybe not that much. Uh, and of course, you know, there's people going around Twitter and saying, see, you know, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't really inflate that much. Uh, so it adds 0.15 percentage points. However, uh, the food professor who's on Twitter, uh, I don't know his actual name. Dr. We should have Sil- him on though. Do- yeah, we should have him. Dr. Sylvain Charbois. Char- yeah, I think he's down here at Dalhousie University. So, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, we, we, we should get him on as, as a guest. Absolutely. So yeah, he's known as the food professor. So he actually emailed the Bank of Canada and he posted the Bank of Canada's response uh, where he basically asked them, he says, well, can you tell me how you've calculated the 0.15 percentage points? And so the Bank of Canada's response, uh, I'll summarize it is they said the estimate applies only to the direct impact of the carbon tax on those three products that are included in the consumer price index, gasoline, heating oil, and natural gas. It does not attempt to capture any second round or pass through effects. So again, just so everybody's aware, the Bank of Canada, when they're measuring how much the carbon tax adds to inflation, they're only including basically what it contributes to gasoline, heating oil, and natural gas. Nothing to do with pass-through effects, a.k.a. if the trucker's paying more for his diesel to truck your produce across the country, uh, they're not factoring in the fact that the trucker's probably going to have to charge higher rates. Uh, to 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 feed that, you know, your your the fertilizer that the farmer uses to grow the crop, for example. Uh, anyways, we can go on and on and on. Um, but uh, that's there. You have it, Rich. That person deserves an F because it's something. Yeah, of course. Well, you you said they're not. They said they might pass through. They will pass through. That's absolutely. Well, basically, um, the bank account said they don't count. Cal- they, they don't calculate. I guess they probably don't even want to be bothered by trying to do the math on how how to even calculate that. Um, but clearly, I think anyone yeah. with a you know brain. <laughs> a, a, a brain, you know, anyone that's past third grade could tell you that there's there's going to be obvious pass through effects. So I think this will be a great conversation. We will invite him to come on and. And, and by the way, like so, his the the Twitter feed is the uh, food professor. Uh, it is the a good food follow, professor. Yeah. Uh, so what one of uh, somebody I know my network he, they they actually know this guy as well. We will have him on. But uh, whenever I see the Twitter feed, I always read it as the food processor. <laughs> <laughs> I can see like the big blender, you know, mixing it all all together. Yeah, he's definitely uh, not come uh, on the show now. Yeah. Well, Usually, Rich says those kinds of things, right? To to scare people away. 
<laughs> okay, so we got you know almost the end of the week here. What what's the big market movement that you guys have seen that is really catching your attention? Rich, you go first. Today it's the bond market. I mean, market move or market catalyst. I mean, United Kingdom bonds are down. 13 or sorry excuse me bond yields are up 13 basis points the whole european on the day? space yes on the day and it was higher at one point it was like 16 or something what's going is, on over there 13 which, basis points in a day that's nuts it's a lot so basically everyone in europe is up 10 basis points and i know that doesn't sound like that much you know like one tenth of one percent but for bond yields that's a lot um so getting mullered basically um yeah i think it's this higher for longer i think the whole <laughs> yield curve is basically catching up to basically the the pal, uh, pals view that they're not gonna cut rates so that's the thing that's interesting to me keith yeah it's i'm watching oil markets quite closely here uh you know like you know oil continues to march higher it, it's down uh you know today but it's down from yesterday's all-time recent high if you want to look at it that way what are we at 95 uh, bucks uh, right now on WTI 92 and a half on the November contract to be precise. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, it is for the economy and, you know, equity markets have been coming off the last few days and all that stuff. If, if oil comes off then that will provide a, a bit of a cushion here you know, for markets to bottom and rebound again, but uh, everything we're now is just refocused on the whole oil trade as well. And, What's interesting, Canadian dollar, it, some days is trading with oil, other days it isn't. But if we get oil coming off here now, uh, then you should, could see CAD coming off with it as well. But keep keep watching. Remember, every single market affects each other. You know, you, you got all these interconnecting lines taking place. Uh, nothing's going to move in, in isolation. But that's about it here for, from our end. Uh, yeah. I've got... Go. Um... Yeah, so over the last month, the Canada five-year bond is up about 50 basis points. Um, that's pretty much all getting passed through to mortgage rates here over the last couple of weeks. So your three-year fixed mortgage rate, which is, again, I'd still say the most popular product that Canadians are using today, gives them enough sort of peace of mind. The rates are kind of in that sort of sweet spot. Uh, so your three-year fix is about six and a half percent today. So again, you're getting stress tested at eight and a half if you want to make a real estate Thanks. purchase. And I think the housing is slow and it's, it's taken a pretty abrupt shift lower over the last four weeks uh, throughout September, which again, September is supposed to be a seasonally busier time of the year. Um, and is this lower in, in say the GTA as well in, in other markets or just so GTA is uh, GTA is the worst market for sure. Um, I would say Vancouver's slow. It, it's it's not doing great right now. Um, the listings are sitting, sellers kind of holding on prices, maybe slowly cutting. Um, yeah, but it, it's. But GTA is the worst. You know, you're hearing lots, particularly in the suburbs. Obviously, Calgary market is still performing well. So, you know, there's always regional differences. But in general, the GTA makes up makes up sort of a large chunk of the national statistics and the national home price index that as the GTA moves, that number will move. Um, and so I think you're going to see, um, again, with, with rates at these levels, it just it doesn't work. And what so, about in? Uh, oh, sorry. It's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge for the next the back half of this year, October, November, December. It's it's gonna there'll be some there'll be some good there'll be some good buys. What about in the Maritimes? Because I know you know after during and sort of po direct after directly after COVID, we saw some huge price rises in Halifax and Fredericton and all these little sort of tinier cities. Has that come off a bit or? Um, I think a little bit. I think. Basically, it's like almost like the more it went up, the more it's kind of coming off. Okay. Um, so those areas are coming off. I just had some clients relocate from Ottawa, um, trying to sell their house, told me it was a battle, you know, a couple price reductions to get it moved. So um, I just think that's the general nature. Like, again, I just don't, I think sometimes we like overcomplicate it. It's just like, listen, like mortgage rates at 6.5, you know, if you're going to go shorter term, right? One year, one year, a one year fixed is like, 
7.3. Yikes. A two-year rate is like 6.8. You know? Well, to let so, everyone, right right now, the market uh, has the Bank of Canada that they've already peaked with raising rates. And they're right now, they're showing uh, the first rate hike. I think it's for July of, of next year. Rate cut. Rate, rate, cut. rate cut, you mean? Uh, rate cut. Yeah. What did I say? Rate hike. Yeah. No, no, we got That's you. We got right. you. So yeah, I didn't to, mean, just to be clear, they're not gonna they're not gonna raise rates anymore, and the market is pricing for a rate cut by July of next year. So that's to, what's to your uh, point, there. Keith. Um, I'm anecdotally just having a few more conversations with mortgage uh, lenders, brokers, and uh, you're starting to see a little bit more take up now in variable rate mortgages. Um, that the product was basically extinct over the last twelve months. And uh, now you're starting to see some Canadians saying, okay, well, maybe they're probably done. And if the market is pricing in or expecting, you know, even one or two cuts next year, because you can get a variable today at like, yeah, about six, six and a half percent, call it, which is like the price of your three-year fixed, right? And so most people are like, well, you know, if I want a two-year, I can be like 68 where I can just take a variable at six and a half, hope that they're done. Or even if they go up another rate hike, that takes me to 6.75 and maybe they're cutting next year. So uh, the variable product is, is starting to get a little bit more take up now. And so it'll be interesting to sort of see how that shapes up over the next uh, six months or so. But again, even if you go, you know, five-year fixed rate, nobody wants to lock into a five-year rate, right? Because it's the highest rates in 15 years or something like that. You don't want to be uh, that yeah. guy. Yeah, your five-year fixed mortgage today, if you locked it in, you'd be looking at about 6, 6.1, 6.2. Crazy. So it's like, do you want to lock in for five years at 6.2? I mean, there's definitely a lot of doomsayers out there on Twitter that will tell you it's going to 10.2. But um, So we know it, it is a struggle then you know, for people in, in that space. Okay. Uh, I have to get moving along. So I got two things to finish with. One is just a reminder that if anyone wants to uh, uh, attend or participate in a webinar that IceCap is going to do for Tuesday, just send me an email and we'll we'll be sure you get invited. And then the final thing is now our weekly tradition. We get our football score prediction, right? We're having fun with that. You're doing really I well. Am. Yeah, I know people like that. So, uh, so the, the San Francisco 49ers are hosting the Arizona Cardinals this weekend. Generally, you don't want to bet on football until after the fourth week. Then you can establish, you know, what teams are doing and, and stuff. Uh, it's probably be kind of close during the first half. They feel each other out. But the uh, the second half is going to be different, Rich, because that's when you figure everything that's happening. So the final score, uh, I had the 49ers winning, uh, scoring 34 and uh, Arizona get they get a late field goal. They give themselves nine points. So that's thirty four <laughs> to nine. Rich, you bring that one to the bank. This guy never predicts a loss. You forgot the no, third point. You're you're like the you're like the Bank of Canada and the rest of the uh, rest of the statistics houses. You never predict a recession in your own team, eh? <laughs> I know. Like you always go undefeated. So we'll uh, we see where we go. But that's that's what this week is uh, looking your, like. You missed the third point. What was the third point? Say no to CBDC. Oh, yeah. Say oh, no yeah. to CBDC, of course. Yeah. Oh, by the way, a, a special hello to a, a Looney Hour uh, listener, Mark, over in uh, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. I had a nice chat with him uh, earlier this week. He's been listening to all the episodes, and uh, he tells all his friends about it. And, and that's what we love about, about the community here. So, hi, Mark. Thanks for uh, for listening and tuning in. That's a wrap. As always, appreciate the support. Uh, thanks, as always. If you're in Toronto, we'll uh, hopefully see you towards the end of November. But either way, we'll see you next week.